0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus, and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Over the last 10 weeks, my hope for you has been that you would see God calling you to himself. Here's what I mean. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, we read this So God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, God makes himself your God, and he makes for himself a people. It is in these words that God is calling us to himself, so that we would know who he is. And so we would have no God before him. As we live our everyday life in front of him, everything that we do, think, say, desire, that we would make him the center of our lives and place him above all things. Today, as we talk about the last of these ten words spoken to us by God, we will see that coveting ties right back into these first declarations made by God. What do we value and desire more than God? We heard at the beginning of this series that we should not make an image of God or worship other created things that we make a picture of and where we would send all of our praise to. We heard that we are not to use the name of the Lord uselessly. His name is important and above every name and should not be tossed about for things that do not matter or in situations when we do not intend on honoring God's name. We also heard that we are to keep time set aside for God to make sure that our focus is on Him and our trust is in Him. We then went on to hear that we should honor our fathers and mothers and authority in general, and that those authorities have been placed in our lives for a reason, that they are representatives of God. Now, whether they do that poorly or well, whether they abuse their authority and act in evil ways, or they strive to understand that authority and act in good and helpful ways, Those people and systems are put there to drive us to the ultimate authority and the true giver of life and all good gifts, God. So, we see in these ten words that we are called to understand who God is for us and what he has done for us. But we are also called in these ten words to love our neighbor. Or as Jesus and Paul would summarize the law, we are to love God and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, as we went through these other words, no murder, no stealing, no bearing false witness, no lying. We have seen over and over again the many ways that we do damage to those around us. And thus, how we separate ourselves from God and willingly choose to cling to our sin and to ourselves. And today, let's read about what we think we deserve and where we wrongly put our desires. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We hear in these verses a truth that is deep in us, that we do not trust God and instead want to look to ourselves for what we think we need and what we think is right. We already saw this with murder, adultery, lies, and theft, that we believe that we must take what we want and need because God does not have our best interests at heart. Lastly, in these ten words, God has held up a mirror to us in the midst of our sin and said, you are going to save yourself with all of your idolatry and your hatred towards your neighbor? In these ten words, God has shown us our need for a Redeemer. Our need for someone like us, but not filled up with and covered with the sin that we have. Someone who not only lives up to these words, but who is the one that actually embodies those words, the Word made flesh. Someone that completely and entirely loves God and neighbor. And so here's our big idea for today Jesus has given you contentment, and he has given you rest from your striving. So, what is this word coveting? How do we covet? Well, let me give you an idea of what coveting is not. Coveting is not the putting away of all desire. Desire is not inherently a bad thing. God desires things for us. He has a will for us. There are some out there that say that we should put away all desires. That would be Buddhism, though. See, Buddhism is not just a a form of religion that makes you work for your salvation, however that uh, looks uh, to different Buddhists, but also Buddhism claims that to become truly pure, to be a truly pure spirit or soul, we must put away all desire. We must not want anything or have a will for anything. That is not Christianity. The Bible would define coveting something like this. We covet by desiring what is not ours, or desiring by what is not what God desires for us, or by desiring anything more than we desire God. Moses gives us several examples of this this morning. You will not covet your neighbor's house. We covet when we say that our neighbor's house is beautiful and that what God has given me is trash. It would be like me stepping outside my door and looking at some of these newly formed cracks on the wall and then looking over at my neighbor's house and saying, Wow, his house is low maintenance. I bet life's a whole lot better when I don't have to do as much work as I'm doing right now. My life My life is awful. Because of all the things that I have. And if only I had a change in the place that I live, surely my life would be more complete. (laughs) My life stinks. And the only thing that would make it better is that house. Or a house like it. Or maybe for the many times that I am frustrated that nothing gold can stay, nothing stays good, and I have to repair this part of my house, and then that part, and then that part, and I look to my friends who want to get out of their apartments and buy a house, and I say, well, don't think that you're moving up in the world. I would much rather have your situation than mine. See, this is a form of coveting that... Awful hardship that I have with the good gift and blessing that God has given to me and my family. Instead of showing thankfulness, I desire to push aside that gift and go get what is not given to me. Now this could sound like a hard word for those that are living in a place that is difficult to live in, or a house that is awful that it's hard to clean and dangerous. But this is also why we are not Buddhists. We don't have to get rid of the desire to grow and mature and find a place that is good for us to live in. God actually allows us to work and improve our house and in doing so, show love and affection for your family and to serve your neighbor well. It's good to have a desire to have a home where you can show hospitality, a home where you can practice fellowship, a home maybe even that makes the value of your neighbor's house go up home that you can make look nice and inviting and have people in. But when that becomes your ultimate, or when the one that you have now that you could do all of this with is not good enough for you, it's a gift that's not good enough for you from God, is when it turns to coveting. Or what about coveting my neighbor's wife? You know, my neighbor, every night when he gets home from work, his wife has got dinner waiting on the table. And the house is clean. And the laundry is folded. (sighs) That guy married a woman now, didn't he? Or maybe it's... Yeah, I mean, I got a good wife. But sure, his wife is beautiful. Or, maybe it's... Yeah, she was good once, but man, his wife over there, mm, she has aged well. Not like my old hag. (laughs) Or for the women, maybe it's, you know, her husband, he actually fixes things around the house. Yeah, when something breaks, he just goes over, and he makes it work. Or maybe it's, Mr. Sensitive, you know, her husband listens to her. Her husband knows what she wants. My life would be better if I had that man. My life would be better, more complete, if I had that woman. Or maybe it's my neighbor's stuff. In the text here, we we read about a male servant and a female servant, uh, an ox or a donkey, Really anything that is our neighbors, the text says. And though servants are kind of a thing of the past, we could talk about people that work in our homes like this wrongly by considering them our objects to begin with, but secondly, not encouraging or teaching someone that helps us to to do something the way that we like it, and instead just being bitter and complaining about the good gift of help that God has given to you in your home? If we wanted to talk about cows and donkeys and whatnot, um, I don't know if you've ever driven past fields where cows are kept, and um, they have little signs up sometimes that say which grocery stores, which shops those cows uh, produce for Um, you know, maybe it's grocery store X and yeah, they're okay. I mean, they're a little bit skinny. They're kind of walking around in the mud. They get fed corn every day, but maybe just maybe you've seen one of those Woolworths fields Hmm? full of Woolworths cows. I mean, the, the grass is definitely greener on that side. Um, the grass is green. It's thick and lush. The cows are fat and happy. We used to drive by one of these when we worked in Franchook. Honestly, some days I thought, man, I'd love to be that cow. Although coveting that you were a cow, that's a little bit different. What we're talking about here is, oh, maybe, just maybe if I had that milk every day, if I had that meat every day, if I had that kind of quality of life that I know comes along with what those cows produce, well, my life would be better. More complete. I wouldn't even need God anymore. I'd have my own health. Because I'm eating the way that I need to and want to. Yesterday, I was at the mall, and uh, there was a Ferrari. A bright red Ferrari. It was pretty beautiful. You know, I think I need that Ferrari. I need that Ferrari because I'm a very busy man. I have lots of things to do. And if I could cut those 10 seconds off of the school drop-off every morning, I could be more productive. I could rest better at night. My life would be everything I've ever needed it to be. My life would be better and easier. And I would have what I truly deserve and desire. And I can do all that I need on my own without anyone's help, especially God's, if I just had this stuff. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. And now the argument here in in Romans chapter 7 Uh, Paul is talking about the law and how when he thought that he understood the law, he looked at himself in the mirror and he said, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. My sin, I've got a good handle on it. But then when he truly understood the purpose of God's law and and what it was showing him, he suddenly saw my sin is is way bigger than I ever thought that it could be. I'm covered in it. I'm filled up with it. My sin is like a deep canyon, and I can't seem to get away from all of it. And so, Paul says, well then, is the law actually making sin? Is it it sin? What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. He says, I would not even have known what sin truly was without the law. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. Christian, for you and for me, a bad desire for something else or a bad desire to place yourself above knowing who you are in Christ because of his work on the cross for you is coveting. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Without the law, sin doesn't make any sense to us. Without God telling us what is right and what is wrong, what he desires for us, sin doesn't make any sense to us. It's interesting that back in Moses' day, um, most of the cultures around them had laws that said adultery is bad, murder is bad, theft is bad. But none of them had laws against coveting. None of them monitored your desires and showed you what they really are. None of them showed you what your heart really looks like. That is, other than God's law. In Proverbs 4.23, we read this, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is important. And you need the law to see what your heart is truly like. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 to 20, we read this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. This is out of the heart now. Come evil thoughts. Murder adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, you know, that break a person, that make them incomplete, that make them unclean. These are what defile a person, but to eat what is un with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. See, not all desire is bad. You should desire to work and do that work well. You should desire to love your closest neighbors, your family, and you should desire to love your neighbor well. In these words, Jesus is teaching us that we should desire. You can also desire food and medicine. You can desire to put things and systems in your life that make God's desires for you for you easier to work out and work at and cause you uh, to remember the importance of these good desires in your life. Because it's not what is outside of you, not what touches you from the outside that makes you unclean, but it is what is inside of you, what flows out of you, what grows out of your heart, which is Darkened and deformed by sin, that's what makes you unclean. See, sins are not just something that you commit or perform. They are not simply something that you do. Sin is a condition. It is a sickness and a twistedness that you were born with and that you have always carried around with you. And it is a brokenness that you hold fast to because you think it is better for you than anything else. And James Chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, we read this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Christian, for you and for me, what seems like a very simple thing thinking about and looking at what your neighbor has and the goodness of it? Your own desires for those things that your eyes have taken a hold of can give birth to sin. And all sin leads to death. When you act upon that covetousness, your desires for what is not yours, your You are placing your needs above the needs of your neighbor. You are placing your desires above their best interests. You're placing yourself above them. You are not loving your neighbor. And in that, you are not agreeing with what God desires for you. You are not loving God with all of yourself. In its ugliest of forms... Coveting gives birth to other sins. That is, discontentment can give birth to murder and theft and adultery, slander. Any way that you can get ahead of your neighbor to get what you need, to place yourself above your neighbor and put yourself in God's place. To become your own God who provides for themselves. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 to 10, we read this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, namely, as we've learned The pangs of death. Or we read in Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to 13, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. What? Paul, how? how? How have you learned to deal with hardship and suffering and joy and, 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 and richness, right? How, how? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. How about lifting a bus? Can he do that? Can I do that? That'd be cool. How about even just simply protecting my family from COVID-19? That'd be cool too. No, Paul is telling us That not coveting, not desiring something that God has not desired for him or for us, he can make it through that. He can be content with his place in life because he knows that God has put him there and he knows that God has given him contentment. God has made him at peace. Jesus has given Paul rest in his perfect person and in his completed work for him. What was different about some of the things that we've talked about this week? Not a whole lot, actually. Just one more word from God, except for the magnificent bow that God has placed on this text. See, in pushing aside covetousness, those bad desires for what is not ours and what God does not want for us. And in receiving contentment, what you are doing is understanding who God is for you, that he is your God and that we should not have another in his place or anywhere at all. We've talked about what we should not do as it pertains to this commandment. We've talked about what we should do a little bit as it comes to this commandment. The bow gets tied on on here by God showing us where Jesus fits into this. See, for you and I, like Paul, in Christ, we can make it through a time of great blessing or a time of suffering because of Christ, who is our strength. It's not happy thoughts that we've been given. As we read together earlier, God works all things for your salvation. It is the fact and the knowledge that Jesus died for us in our place. That for all of those people who saw Jesus and said his following is too big, his miracles are too great, raising people from the dead, we can't have that. For everyone who looked at those who Jesus had forgiven and said, He can't do that. I'm earning my forgiveness. No one gives it to me. All of the discontentment, all the covetousness that was directed at Jesus. He says he's the king. There's only one king. He thinks he's great, but there are a lot of people more powerful than him. See, they all wanted what Jesus had to give. They just didn't want it from him. And so do all of us. We always want to get it for ourselves. We say, I'm going to place myself above him. I will put myself above God's plan. I will put myself first. I'm going to get what I desire. I take what I need. No one Gives it to me. Jesus took all of that from those around him, and he took all of that that you and I have burrowed deep down in our desires and our thoughts. All of that sin and ugliness, our every deadly word, thought, and deed, and he took it to the cross. And in doing that, he died a death that was ours, that we deserved. He took all of your sin and everything that you value more than God. Every one of your little idols. All the ways that you dishonor God's name and you dishonor your father and your mother. All the ways that you murder and commit adultery. All the ways that you lie, cheat, and steal. All the ways that you covet. Jesus comes to you and says, All of those things are mine. And all that I have is yours. Jesus gives you true forgiveness. And Jesus gifts you true freedom. Jesus says to you, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery. That he saved you from your slavery to sin, death, and hell. And yourself. He says that he has set you free. And that he has given you contentment. And that he has given you rest from your striving. Christian. Know that you are not your own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of our sins with his precious blood, and he has delivered us from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of the Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for our salvation. Because I belong and because we belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures us of eternal life and makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.